The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. I've been reading a very interesting book about the uh, war in Afghanistan. It's uh, entitled The Operators, and it's written by Michael Hastings. Now, uh, some of you may not recall his name, but you'll probably recall that he was the freelance writer who wrote the article for Rolling Stone magazine that ended up getting uh, General McChrystal fired from the command position in Afghanistan. Uh, he's a very interesting guy, and he writes this book to give a behind-the-scenes behind perspective on how he got the story, but uh, perhaps even more important than that, uh, what happened after the story was published. Uh, briefly, uh, Hastings was given free reign to be embedded with the general staff in Afghanistan. He, was, he partied with them, he, uh, and that's how they got into trouble, actually. He also was with them at very important briefings. And he also was with them when they went out to some of the forward operating bases. And he heard what the troops were saying directly to the command staff. It was a very interesting article, those of you who might have read it or heard about it. Uh, what he reported in it was the derogatory things that McChrystal and his senior staff said about our ambassador in Afghanistan, the vice president, and the president of the United States. And in fact, all civil uh, oversight of the war. And as a result of that, the story was so hot that before it was even published, it was leaked throughout Washington. And uh, in no time at all, uh, McChrystal was relieved of command. But I think what's most interesting about that whole story was the backlash that Hastings experienced from the media. He said that, uh, you know, he had a pretty good understanding of the military industrial complex, but what he came to realize was that there was a military media industrial complex because uh, the media, after all, were very connected with the institutions and they depended upon access in order to get their stories. And part of what they wanted to do, of course, they these bigger than life generals like Petraeus and and um, and uh, McChrystal and there were others. They were good copy. These were guys that were like superheroes and people loved to read about them. 
And these reporters love to be invited to their cocktail parties to be kind of on the inside. And what happened when Hastings told the truth about the war and about the uh, failings of these senior officers, uh, he was on the outside. He was no longer a part of the inside group. He had crossed the line. He was not playing by the rules of the game. Now, this is certainly not anything new. Uh, this has gone on, and you've probably uh, seen it in institutions you've been a part of. I've seen it in the church, and you have too, I'm sure. The Vatican is going through it right now. People who want to speak the truth but are being held back. People who are not following the rules of the game and stepping over the line. Well, I think that we have a glimpse of that with regard to what was going on in Jesus' day as he thinks about Jerusalem. Jesus is on his way uh, to uh, Jerusalem. And I think it's in Matthew that uh, we hear these passages, essentially this crying over the city of Jerusalem, when he's at the Mount of Olives and looking across the Hebron Valley at the city. But in Luke's account, he's on the way. And as he goes toward Jerusalem, the, this group of Pharisees comes to him and they urge him to uh, be careful because Herod wants to kill them, wants to kill him. Now, uh, I think that uh, it's important for us to see that there were a lot of people who had a lot to lose if the equilibrium in Jerusalem was upset. Uh, Herod the Great had rebuilt the temple. It was a glorious, magnificent uh, structure. Uh, there also were beautiful murals in the city. There were two uh, palace fortresses. There were gardens. There was an amphitheater. It was a great city. And there was a, a, an equilibrium that had kind of uh, come about between the Jewish population with uh, the leaders in the temple and the overlords of Rome who were there trying to keep the lid on some of the potential insurgency in Palestine. Well, it's a dangerous situation. And Jesus is probably seen as a dangerous person. Jesus understood what it was all about. And he, as we have it recorded in Luke, says that Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to you. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her, her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See your house I left to you and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is met by Pharisees. Perhaps they are there to keep him from uh, another prophet from going into the city. I sometimes think, I often think, that we paint the, the Pharisees as villains, two-dimensional figures, that, and we just uh, kind of, it's a toss-off, you know, these are bad guys. But I think it's important for us to try to get more of a three-dimensional understanding of them. They probably were not uh, very enamored of Herod because uh, Herod was close to authority. He was close to the, to the uh, Romans, and he benefited from that. They were people who were devoted to keeping the law. Uh, many of you, perhaps myself as well, would have wanted to be a part of the Pharisees. They were people who cared about what people said was important in Judaism. They also were a lay-led group. They were not made up of priests from the temple. 
These were lay people who were passionate about their faith. And they also wanted to ensure that uh, Jewish tradition and Jewish culture was maintained, especially as Greek culture became more and more prevalent throughout Palestine. And I think it's also important for us to remember that Paul was a Pharisee. He persecuted Christians, but after his conversion became the great apostle of the early church. And one of my favorite characters in all of the, the Gospels, Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He met with Jesus no less than three times in John's Gospel. And we see him at the last when all the disciples have run away He's there with Joseph of Arimathea, preparing Jesus' body for burial. So the Pharisees are three-dimensional. There's more to them than just to say that oh, these are all bad guys. But I do wonder what the motivation was for those Pharisees to come out and meet Jesus. Perhaps it was just to keep a prophet out of Jerusalem. Because, after all, it would be dangerous to their interests as well, perhaps, for Jesus to come into Jerusalem and upset the status quo. I think that's what the writer Hastings had done. He had touched a nerve. He had touched the status quo nerve. He had upset the apple cart. And that's what Jesus did. Wherever Jesus went, when Jesus was present, it would never be the same again. It could not be the status quo. Because when he was present, life and lives were transformed. One of the things that I think we see in the Gospels over and over again is this uh, tension between what Jesus is presenting to his disciples and to us and what is often referred to as the world. Uh, the midweek study group has been working through the, the Gospels and we're now into the letters of the New Testament. and. Uh, over and over again, we come across these admonitions about not being too caught up in the ways of the world. And we've tried to understand what did that mean to those who, uh, who heard that. And one of the ways we've come to think of it is that the world is kind of like the system. Now, the system is different for each of us because we operate in different systems. Uh, the system for me used to be the military. The system for me now is the church. The system uh, has power over us. People are invested in it. And, you know, you can either get along and go along or you can get in the way and you find yourself run over by the system. The system is powerful. And that's the thing that, that Hastings found out, that even these wonderful people in the media that he looked up to were a part of the system. They were really embedded in the institution. The question that comes to mind is, as Jesus calls out in agony about Jerusalem, could the Sanhedrin, which represented the unity of, of the people of Israel, could the Sanhedrin hear his message of repentance? Would it be possible for them to hear that? Because after all, they too had been compromised. There, there were aspects of their life that were connected so much with the system that they could perhaps not look at the truth of the system. I believe that what Jesus calls us to is to examine our lives over against the world, the system, and to think about how our lives have been hooked into it. 
We can be hooked in in so many different ways. We can be hooked in by the expectations that are raised, the need for having a certain kind of education, getting a certain salary, a certain job or position, the need to be in the right neighborhood, to have the right car, to have the right look. There are so many ways that we get caught up in that system, looking for happiness and missing joy. There are so many ways that we can fail to see that the light of Christ has been shined in a corner of our lives that is kind of dark. And in fact, we can only respond to that two ways. We can repent as the light shines on that darkness and we can find new life. We can be reborn, so to speak, or we can reject the light and resist it. And Jesus knew both responses. And he knew that the response in Jerusalem was, would be to reject the light. Someone once said that grace and sin met long ago in Jerusalem and grace won. For the hen who is willing to give her life for the chicks, helpless before the fox, so too Jesus has met the fox and he has died. He has died for you and for me. Amen.